0: Welcome to the Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and well, a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we are in Alexandria, Virginia, at CM Kling & Associates, where I'm sitting with David Gitan who has 21 years of experience in the industry and has been the president here at CM Cling for seven years. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me in your office today. How are things going?
1: Good, good. And thanks for being here.
0: Absolutely. It's a it's a blast to be out on the East Coast in a beautiful, I must admit, week in the middle of the summer here in DC. It's like 75, no humidity. Yet. I think it's like this every single day here in the summertime, right?
1: At like six in the morning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I watched it rain last night for like 40 minutes and I checked the weather. I said, Oh no, it's not going to rain the rest of the week. Is it? It was a little bit more humid this morning, but I got out for sunrise and got to see the monuments and I was surprised how many other people were out. This is a, a beautiful place to be. And man, that grass is green on the national mall right now.
1: It's a little different than the West Coast that we have here.
0: Yeah, it's uh well, it might have something to do with the sprinklers. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> hey, it's uh, you know, it's been fun to, to be here and, and chat with you a little bit more and learn about your firm and your success. But earlier today, we were having a conversation that talked a lot about uh, design and the value of design and really what goes into it. But there's a lot of integrity that goes into design and it's not just lighting design or design of buildings but the design process and everything that goes into that which includes the products and what people are doing and putting that in that along the way so i'd love to catch up with you a little bit about that but first let's start with who is david and how did you get into lighting
1: i from the time i was a little kid playing with blocks and lego and transformers and all those things i Assumed I would be an architect. That was, you know, I think my grandfather christened that on me at some point and said, "You will be an architect someday." And I went to university and chose actually to not go to an architecture program. I'd been admitted to a few, but then decided I wanted to have a little bit broader education. And I had really grown a love for theater in high school, and so I was had opportunity to do that through through university, mostly scenic design, but a lot of lighting as well in that. Took an opportunity near the end of my uh, college education to take an internship in this thing I heard about, didn't know anything about what they did, called architectural lighting. Where'd you go to school? Uh, George Washington University. Right down the street. Just down the street. Yeah. And it was really lucky. I had a program that I could kind of create my own major in some ways, where I, uh, in fact, always, I, I wrote out a thesis about why I wanted to take a certain course of study that was more than just theater design and, and brought in other things, including art history and architecture and that. Like I said, I took an internship in the first week of June of 1999 at CM Klingon Associates and then stayed. And that's 21 years later, I I, I own the place.
0: Where, <laughs> where were you in, te- in 1999? Yeah. Well, I can tell you what, David, I was not in college in 1999, <laughs> so... Talk to me a little bit about what it's been like to be a a lifer here and how it's been and how mentorship's played into it and what your career progression's been like to become the owner of
1: the entire gig. Well, I couldn't have asked for a better mentor. Candy Kling, who who was my mentor literally from the day I started, was an extremely generous and loving and great woman. Uh, She instilled a real joy for design and joy for life. We would sit in the office and you could hear her laugh resonate through the building. She had one of those great deep laughs that just infected you. And even if you had the worst day, you'd hear it and, and all you could do was smile. So that that level of mentorship mixed with someone who really truly understood design and lighting design and and the need to not only be very serious about your project and, and get the work done, but enjoy it and have a little whimsy in the project. And so those those characteristics are things I try to hold on to and maintain. In terms of the firm, I've witnessed a firm that you know started when I joined. I was the fourth person in the company. It had already been around for twenty years. There were four of us at that point. We kind of grew up together in a lot of ways and continued to progress. And then when I took over, we were also similarly about four people. We had kind of gone through some ebbs and flows, and then now we're we're up to eleven. So that's awesome. Yeah, over double in size,
0: <laughs> almost triple. Yeah,
1: and we we moved after I think we'd been in that the space we were in up the block for also about almost 15 16 years it was a it was time to to move and we were able to kind of really create a space for ourselves so
0: I've had the privilege to walk around a little bit and, and see this building that you guys have just share a little bit with everybody else what the space is like and how you use it to really almost innovate and understand what light is
1: so one of the things I said when we were looking to move I, I had an opportunity it was fortunate that I could invest in and purchase a building and when I started to look for those, what did we want? what what kind of space did we want what what did it mean? It was light and bright and comfortable and really a place you wanted to come to work but someplace that we could grow with that it wasn't built at once and that's how it is forever. So we wanted experimental space. we wanted to to be able to instill new technology into it so our lighting is tunable white. Uh, where we're able to go through some circadian process. We have a full control system that's centralized. So Hooray for control! Yes, great. And thank you to to Lutron for helping us with it quite a lot. And the Big Owl, <laughs> shout out to the Big Owl. <laughs> but what we're able to do with that is not only learn ourselves about how it programs and how we put it together, but bring our clients through and show them, hey, this is what it is today. In fact, you know, we'd been in here for three years and we just changed all the drivers on things because it was new evolution in terms of how some of the control really works. So we've done that. That's our, our kind of top floor is our, is our main office. It's a three-story building, and that's yeah. where the lighting design firm is. And uh, we have a sister company that I'm a partner in called Pixel Lumen Lab. And Pixel Lumen is an interactive technology and design firm that does a lot of programming and integration, primarily for DMX and color changing, but also some of its own design work. That's all these tangential things that aren't really lighting whether it's video or media facades or things like that.
0: Yeah, you mentioned you guys had like a a big project with a video board that was 70 feet long. I mean,
1: that's definitely blurring the lines of Hollywood and lighting design almost, but it's cool. And it grew out of a project that CM Kling was involved in, where we were doing a big color-changing lighting project on the outside of a stadium, and we needed programming. And what we realized is that the programming and the ownership of that programming, the constant maintenance of it for a facility like that was more than you would go to just the manufacturer for. So we kind of dipped our toes into it. And I realized that there's more to this than lighting design and chose to actually create a a different entity. So we have a a second company and that one I have a partner in. and, And so they are on the second floor, but very much one Company day to day operations in terms of everyone's in the building when we can be in the building. And I, we, I was
0: going to say, I saw one kitchen and one coffee maker, yeah, which yeah, exactly. makes me think everybody
1: hangs <laughs> out in the same place. So we do, and we share a lot. So it's great that you know, we can walk downstairs to kind of the lab space where Pixel Lumen is and say, hey, we want to plug something in, and there's DMX control and this control, and we can clamp it onto the ceiling and do all these things and really play with it. And then We have another space on the ground floor that's uh, currently empty. It's about to become our... Your floor hockey arena. Well, yeah, exactly. The ping pong table's been down there primarily, but it's going to be really a conference lounge environment space that we have projectors and things that we can host our own meetings, but also offer it for not only our clients to do kickoffs and charrettes and things, but also for associations. So, you know, the local IES section if they need to host a meeting someplace that we can participate in that. That's
0: awesome. I know I know nonprofits always enjoy good free spaces, especially when there's good coffee upstairs and lots of <laughs> lights to play with, right? Exactly. So, that's that's really cool. Well, you've got an incredible three-story space here and there's a lot going on. There's collaboration as you mentioned across kind of different expertises and CM Kling has a, a broad portfolio of work and it spans Longer than your 20-year career, really almost for 40 years, I believe, at this point. 40 years now. 40 years this year. There's a lot that goes into design and there's a lot that you've learned in your tenure here. And I'm sure Candy has passed on to you and so many others here through mentorship and, and through the process of learning. I want to get your take. What has it been like to grow up in the world of lighting design and understand each facet of the business and how to
1: carry integrity through all of that. I'd say lighting design or architectural lighting design as we know it today is both extremely similar and very different from where it was when I started in, in 21 years ago, or even probably when Candy set off and started her firm in, in 1980. Fundamentally, it's still about light, right? The application of light, the design process of crafting a story and working with designers and your collaborative partners in that. but we didn't even know what led was 20 years ago so no we did not uh, and and certainly didn't think that it was at a place or would become the dominant player that it is and really to to grow how you take controls to the individual level i mean the what you can do from an iphone these days and how you give that that experience so it's been a evolution of how do you maintain your skill and your focus and your integrity as a designer and what that core value and that sort of instinct is about and then nurture it through technology and evol- and the, and developing world that we're in uh, of truly integrated design and so you kind of have to you become a technologist at some points you have to really outthink application you have to know how to collaborate with people and not just designers not a, like an architect or an interior designer but how to talk to a manufacturer that isn't necessarily a lighting manufacturer right it could be somebody who's really a widget developer or an app developer or how do you still talk about what's the desired outcome and what are the needs and how does it serve the audience that it's working toward so
0: when you think about approaching a design today as you mentioned it's come so far even in just the last 5 years let alone 10 15 or 20 you as a designer have to spend so much more time understanding everything that goes into a project. But you have to figure out how to be unquestionable and continue to be honest and transparent with your thoughts. How much do you feel like you have to learn today in order to stay on top of of your game to be be the consultant and be the team that you want to be?
1: Well, I think your name is everything, right? So that's your reputation, that's your, your relationship with the people who are paying you, and, and really who you project out to the world. So that honesty is a major part of that for me. If you're not honest with your clients, but also with yourself, you don't have anything to stand on. You, you can create pretty pictures, but they're sort of shallow or hollow at the end of the day. So to answer your question about what do you need to be on top of and how do you learn it, I think you have to, you have to be willing to admit you don't know something. That's a, a major part, to be in a meeting with a group of people and say, I don't know how this circadian system works mm-hmm. but I know enough about light fixtures and I know enough about lighting controls I'm going to find out and I'll get back to you right I mean that that goes a lot further than saying than trying to make something up on the spot and talk about something that at the end of the day isn't either feasible or actually accurate or could potentially do harm which is in the worst case you're causing harm in the best case you've kind of skirted an issue without and gotten off right and what you're trying to do is set a foundation that this is how you approach things. This is your personal integrity and your firm's integrity, and that gets you rehired.
0: Being rehired is an important thing.
1: It's everything, right? Repeat
0: clients are, are a great client to have, and there's something there, obviously, financially, but there's a sense of fulfillment when you know you've done your job and people want you to come back for more. It gives you an opportunity to improve on what you've all learned as a team. But more than anything, it gives you the the opportunity to continue to be that authentic presence that you create in an environment. And I know that authenticity is a, is a big part of what you do at CMCling as well. Talk to me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so again, I think it goes back to that thing I was saying where your name is everything, right? So if I need to be able to stand behind what I'm suggesting or what, what ideas I'm bringing to the table, but that that really unquestionable honesty, right? That you're not going to sell somebody on something that you either don't believe in or that you think is not suited to the product, and you're going to tell people or your collaborators that something isn't appropriate. And sometimes that's as powerful as anything else in a meeting where somebody's come at you with a full design and you know they've already got cut sheets. They're into it, right? And they're, they think they've thought through it and you have to kind of guide them toward this isn't really working the way you see it, right? So let's talk about that. And let's really open that authentic conversation about this is who I am. This is what we spend our time in. These are properties about it, not just because it's not the design that you created, but about we need to serve a greater purpose and the greater client. So
0: when you look at serving that greater purpose and the client holistically, there's more than just your service that goes into it how do you drive integrity and authenticity across your team and, and the people that you work with maybe from a, a manufacturing side
1: yeah so you know us as a firm we we stepped aside earlier this year and said forty years old time to grow up a little bit let's put in writing things that we're already doing and we really look took a deep dive into what is our core ideology and our core values and one of those is about environmental concerns and we we were Kind of broad in terms of the, the naming of it, but it's what can we influence? What is our responsibility to society? What's our responsibility to the environment itself? And even if it's things our client either doesn't respect or doesn't have awareness of. And for us, that's about digging a little deeper with the products that we do specify and starting to look and have conversations with manufacturers about what is your Recycling policy, right? Do you accept the product back? How much of it is landfilled, and what is really recyclable? And just because it is recyclable, will it get recycled? Which then you start talking about what what is their long term planning? What materials are they putting in? Somewhat unrealistic to say to put in a written spec that everything you every manufacturer needs to be red list compliant. Mm -hmm. There's just not enough manufacturers that even almost know what it is, right? Mm -hmm. Let alone are actually somewhere on the list in terms of their materials. But you need to begin to think about what is the life cycle? Does this product have PVC in it? Is there a better product? Can I convince my client to spend a few dollars more per linear foot or whatever it turns out to be to have a product that makes them breathe easier at the end of the day? That gives them a better story to tell out. And you can't be motivated by lead points or well points or any of that. This is about how do you as a designer hold your integrity and your values to say, It's important to me that the things that I am promoting and advocating for have a sort of greater consciousness of the world that they're in.
0: Well, I tell you what, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll dive into that. What it means to take that integrity and translate it into a project and show a client how there really is value there. Sound good?
1: Sounds great. Great.
0: Hey, it's Sam. Real quick, The Light Pod is brought to you by LightEye offer ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment in architectural lighting. They bring you short stories about lighting, primarily with videos and things like this podcast. Check them out at L-Y-T-E-I And welcome back. Over the break, David and I were just catching up a little bit more about what it means to take the integrity of not only design, but the materials that designers source use and specify ultimately to put on a project and how that all adds up to something that really is worth it for the owner. David, talk to me just a little bit more about what it means to evaluate everything and and stay with your specification and be true and steadfast with what you really do recommend and how much plays into that. And it's not just a spec. It's, it's not just a part number on a spec sheet.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think much of what we do is beyond just putting a, a part number on a spec sheet. And you really have to begin to understand that and accept that a manufacturer and a manufacturer's representative and ultimately the supplier and the contractor and the architect and the owner and all these people are partners with you. And as you dig into your specification, part of your role is to be curious, right? You need to ask the questions that begin to that set up beyond what you can read on a sheet of paper or on your screen uh, exactly. So, and
0: yeah, what are those questions? It's well, it's not just what they forgot to leave out in the info box.
1: Correct. It's first of all, you should ask questions and manufacturers and and their their representatives should be forthcoming, right? Either it should be we don't know about that, we don't care about that, or we do care and here's what we do. If they start hiding things, that's when you start questioning, right? Is this really who I want to promote? Because ultimately, if I'm putting a name down on my fixture schedule, I'm promoting something, right? I'm putting my name behind it to say this is this product serves not just the lighting purpose of this space, but achieves the greater purpose of why you're building this building or building out this client. And we have to know some of those things or ask some of those things, even beyond what just we read on the RFP or what the client's website might say. So I will ask things like, well, where is your source material coming from? If you're in aluminum extrusion, is it being is it aluminum that is from North America that's being extruded someplace in North America? Is it all coming from China? Is portion of it? Is there a portion of it that you know about that is recycled? But even going further, it's like if you're using an LED board, what's the base material? Where are you having those boards populated? And what is your policy for taking them back, right? I mean, I think this is the biggest change that we've seen in my career in terms of a light fixture is that a light fixture was something you screwed a lamp into (laughs) for the longest time, right? So the fixture had a longevity that could be 25, 30 years depending on the type of space, even though you were putting a light source that it was only meant to last three to five years. Well, now we're basically putting computers in the ceiling and saying i would say we are putting computers <laughs> yeah. in the ceiling and and if you think about it as a commodity that's meant to be disposed of when it fails then i think you're you're wrong and if you're manufacturing in that way still you need to change i think the computer analogy is quite apt because in reality a computer is a chassis and a motherboard, and a hard drive, and a video card, and all these components. And don't forget the cooling fan. And
0: the I'm, cooling fan. I'm just kidding. Don't put fans <laughs> well, in light fixtures.
1: We went through that, and we seem to have gotten away from it for the most part. Thank goodness. Uh, but I can upgrade those, and change those, and add some RAM, and do these things to, to machines so that they have a longevity. Now, what we want to see is a light fixture lasts more than the four years that your computer lasts. But you have to think about where where does it go after that, right? Yeah. How do I is there a sticker someplace for like maybe right on the driver that says send back to so-and-so, right? Or recycle this way and how, and even just asking those questions, right? And then take it further. Okay. Well, there's a lot of stuff that's in here that is more than just the metal box and the driver and the led, right? What's, Mm -hmm. what's the wire, right? Is that, is that wire of a harmful material? Is it going to off gas over time? Like what are, what are things that are not good, not only for the people in the space but for the environment during production and begin to think about that and i think what you find is that it opens your eyes to a different way of thinking about the application of the light sources to to achieve your lighting design intent so we begin to think differently about what is a remote driver and really how much can i power off of a driver and what is the wire that goes from driver to to light source so now is it better to have drivers that are 50 feet away in a more accessible location that then has low voltage wiring. So less material from driver to LED. And now I'm, I'm using less copper in the building, right? Which, and begin to think about these natural resources. Now, some of that is just you and your design approach and your ethos as a designer and say, if I lay this out, I don't, I may get questioned about it, but I can defend it and say, doing these steps achieves this, right? Designing around a, digital control system versus an analog control system uses less material. Now, can you convince the owner and and express to them and educate them that the savings in that material offsets potentially a higher cost in initial material, in the cost of the driver or the cost of that, right? If I'm not putting in an extra mile of data cable in the building or, or power cables or adding You know, if I'm a third of the dimmers that I used to be, is there, where's that savings and how's that savings captured? Yeah. It's very often that you wind up in a, you've designed around that and then you wind up in a VE scenario where you have a contractor coming at you and saying, well, you're putting all these expensive components in here. And if we just do it this way, and then you have to really reeducate everyone and say, it's fine. Now I want to see the cost of your labor and your and, cable and, and your cable else. and wire and let's talk about it, right? And and if you prove me wrong, you prove me wrong. But I can tell you, you get a much better system. And here's a list of projects where that's, where that's occurred.
0: So we've got a situation where you've got buildings that are getting more complex. You're no longer just specifying a luminaire, you're creating an entire system. In many instances, you're also writing specs for how the system gets programmed. And now you're taking it a step further to understand not only are we putting all this technology and these computers in ceilings, they need to last. They need to upgrade, and because of that, it's forced you to dive even deeper into your your investigations of how things are coming to light and showing up as products that present themselves to be used on your projects. When you when you when you look at your crystal ball, and I know it's big, and you've got it on your desk every day, what does it tell you? What does it show you? What What are you thinking about? Or what might you look to the future and hope that we could get in terms of information?
1: It's, uh, I don't think we're ever going to see a consistent level of information. Where I think the what I'd like to see more is manufacturers making statements about what their approach is. And whether it's on their websites or it's things that you can request as part of their submittal process where it's them taking a stance and saying this is how our how we see our responsibility beyond just selling you this light fixture right and how do we intend to follow up on it and how do we intend to see it beyond just it's no longer our responsibility you drove it off the lot it's not ours anymore and that's where you can begin to influence things right you can say because it's very hard to write into a spec a requirement that perhaps your owner doesn't believe in right so now you you start during the design process to kind of educate your owner and, and talk about things that are in the spec so that they are a collaborator on it and they have ownership of it and they understand it rather than getting to bid process and they're like, yeah, we don't care about that we're gonna
0: as opposed to just the dollar value associated with a product, there's an integrity behind products just story behind products. There's a reason it might cost something they don't quite understand on the front end.
1: Right. And there's a reason why people gravitate to an Apple, an iPhone, or a laptop, or or whatever it is. Absolutely. Over it- marketing part of that, right? But they Apple's done a brilliant job of telling us all that there's a quality of design and a quality of material and a longevity of material that is important, and we should pay up for it. Mm-hmm. And... They're brilliant at it. I mean, there's almost no, there's very few other brands that have that have gotten to that level. I was right? gonna
0: say there's Apple, Apple, Apple. Apple. <laughs> there's my iPad. There's my iPhone. There's my Mac. I mean, it's all it's all Apple.
1: Historically, there have been car brands to it. I mean, you look at Ford and their story of the just their pickup trucks, right? I mean, yeah. There's, there's a it's their biggest selling product, not just because everyone in the country wants a pickup truck, but because my dad had a pickup truck and it was a Ford, and then and it lasted him twenty years. And then I bought my my Ford, and I've had it for fifteen years. And, Absolutely. You know, and, and there's a there's I, a durability I, and a product and and
0: I was gonna say I bought a Mustang for eight days. No, just a <laughs> Rental car. This is
1: because you want to just I, zip down the highway because there's nobody on the road right now. <laughs> you
0: know, nothing like wind in your hair. You know, it's awesome. So you know when you talk about these capabilities and these stories of these big, big, big brands. Uh, Lighting is emerging and new companies are, are almost coming out of the woodwork. I mean, there's twice as many lighting companies today as there were 15 years ago, and it continues to grow and we may lose some along the way too. But it's important for them to think about things holistically. And that's not just the story, but it's really the integrity behind their luminaire designs and their processes and their people and where they source things from. When you look at the landscape today, do you feel like there's an opportunity for maybe more innovation and less me too?
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, I I hope that we're, we're nearing the end of some of the me too stuff. There were a lot of really early innovators with LED and integration of LED and, and that product. And then we saw a lot of just copycat out yeah. there. And everybody made
0: a two inch. Everybody made a four inch. Exactly. Everybody made a snap on grid.
1: Everybody made a
0: downlight that. Was diecast? I mean, what what's next? Who who can get out there and who can innovate?
1: And I I think where a lot of us are are fatigued by a lot of that, right? I mean, we've learned that a diecast downlight with a one inch cutoff is maybe not following a hundred years of knowledge, yeah, that, that we've developed in in what lighting and glare control and and Looks. comfort and is right. We've took a period here where we fell for the aesthetic.
0: Looks aren't everything.
1: Yeah. And and what it looked like on a tabletop and not how it felt in the space. And the same thing has been true. You know, we the product of linear product, whether it's a four-inch slot or a half-inch slot or any of these things, allowed us to create 2D graphics and not really think in three dimensions. Mm-hmm. And we're beginning to see that there's a lot more integration, right? We 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 understand how things can be connected to ceilings and how things can be plastered in in a way that still gives you serviceability but is is a lot more integrated and and customizable for a space so it's not as much about i want that exact thing out of that catalog and just apply and and you're seeing a lot more customization or variability in product but and that.
0: obviously we're not going to reinvent every form factor in the industry but what we can do is we can we can push manufacturing capabilities we can push the ability to create holistic products and most importantly we can listen to what our clients
1: need absolutely and our clients not only need a wonderful space that operates perfectly for them at the beginning and that they can feel comfortable in and has the right illumination for the task but is also beautiful and and inspiring but that 5 years down the road they can service right so it's great that i'm a big believer in startups right i think new companies coming in with innovation and bringing new product you should support them because they they it's through that support of an encouragement of their thinking that you grow better and bigger companies but you have to be careful right you have to look and say how do i support something to this client Who is you know being enticed by by a cost savings or whatever it is that that from a brand that's not going to exist in three years, right? Or is going to not make that product in any way that they could replace a part on it? Mm -hmm. And how how can I tell someone that your service plan for that downlight is to cut a hole in the ceiling, pull it out, put something in that doesn't match any of the other fixtures, and now you got to patch the ceiling? right so it's costing you more than you paid at the beginning just to keep it working and so I, they don't think about that right or they do but but the people who are making a lot of decisions early on are not thinking long term whether maybe they're selling the building maybe there's it's just different budget whatever so you have to you have to tell them the bigger story but there is value to that higher end product
0: not necessarily just cuz it looks better yeah. but because it's got a story behind it and that story is what we've thought about
1: who interacts with this every step of the way and there's a lot of there's a lot of things you know you can run down any million of path, paths with this right the simple thing of like the thickness and materiality of the trim cone
0: yeah
1: right if you go to a lower gauge metal or die cast metal that doesn't have the same diffusion properties from a heat perspective, even though, yes, I have a heat sink on my chip, right? But if I'm still containing it within kind of a box above the ceiling. So now every piece that it touches is part of the heat sink system. So just having a little bit more mass there allows for better cooling, which gives you that much more life. Now, can I, can I compute that and give them a real world scenario and say, okay, you're going to get three years instead of two years or whatever. I mean, what we're claiming for LED lives, none of these have been on for that long. So it's all a bit of a a mystery, but you try to give your best estimation of what, why you're either spending more money or spending more effort to, to put it. And money, by the way, is not always the cost of the actual product. This is the dark side of our industry is lighting is also about the politics of who happens to represent it or sell it and how that project is coming together as a whole and you have to be willing to break that or or defend it depending on the the scenario and work with partners that's why i said earlier that it's not just about me and the design team versus the construction team you have to be a partner with the construction team and know that it's fair that your electrical contractor is putting a markup on something and it's fair that they're working with a distributor who who wants to do it but But yet there are certain values and requirements and criteria that make the project better and how do you how do you become an advocate and a partner in that process
0: and at the same time it's fair to you that they respect what you specify and all your knowledge yeah well there's a whole nother conversation with that (laughs) well to be continued and it's and it's absolutely (laughs) to be continued but it's been great to catch up with you and talk a little bit more about what it means to be holistic when you come into your designs and have integrity through the entire process and also the people that you choose to partner with and respecting those who are in the in the channel in the process and also asking for that in return thanks again for having me in your office david one last question if anybody has any questions or wants to reach out to you what's the best way to get in touch with you
1: i'd say go to our website it's cmkling.com and you can find all of our, our info that way.
0: So that's cmkling.com. That's it. That's David from CM Clean. Thanks again, David. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. See you. Bye. Hey, it's Sam. Real quick. If you enjoyed this podcast, do me a favor. Head back to the platform that you listen to and click like or subscribe. That's the best way to never miss an episode of The Light Put, where we interview people or all things lighting, building technology, curious about the future, and honestly, just have fun stories to tell. Until then, see ya.